Okay, we're continuing our series, Sent, uh, where everything has been dramatic uh, in Acts so far. As we said last week, there's been remarkable happenings of the Holy Spirit empowering the church and people coming to join the church. Uh, it's now at this point grown to about 5,000 people. Peter and John had been speaking with authority and then the apostles uh, were following them. Lives were changed. Peoples were he- people were healed. Uh, God's kingdom was coming to earth. And what the prophets had foretold was actually happening. This is what Acts 4.33 says. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And grace was, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that all the, uh, who were needy, uh, pers- sorry, powerfully at work in them, and all uh, that there, and all that there were no needy uh, persons among them. I can't read this morning. I need to put my glasses on. Imagine what that would have been like to experience that, to have heard the prophets foretelling this to have read about that, and then to see these things happening. And then last week, we discovered that uh, the persecution then set in. That was the devil making a fight back, and where we saw imprisonment, trial, and flogging. And yet, the apostles rose to the occasion through the power of the Holy Spirit. The apostles left rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering and disgrace for his name. So this didn't stop them. And so this week we're going to pick things up uh, and we're looking at this theme, sent dispersing the seeds, the seed. Um, because after a time of persecution in which Stephen, uh, some of you may have heard of, was martyred, uh, the, 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 the level of persecution then rose, great persecution uh, broke out. Uh, and then what happened was uh, there were people who were dispersed, as we're going to see. Uh, so let's pick it up in Acts chapter 8, uh, if you've got your Bible with you, and we'll read from verses 1 to 8. Acts 8, verses 1 to 8. On that day, great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Those who'd been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. And so we have martyrdom increasing, persecution increasing. And what did that do? It led to the scattering of the believers Because up to now, it was the apostles, first Peter and John and then the others. And now the rest of the believers uh, were were involved. So if you remember in Acts 1-8, it says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth. I wonder what the believers thought when they watched Peter and John 
uh, in the temple, and they watched the apostles witnessing. Did they think to themselves, those boys are doing a great job, great job. They're, they're, they're witnessing, fabulous. Wonder who's going to do the Judea and Samaria bit. Here's Jerusalem, wonder, wonder what's going to happen there. I'm not sure what they thought, it doesn't tell us what they thought, but despite the devil's attempt to attack the church, what was happening was that God was fulfilling his purposes through persecution because what happened was those who had been scattered preached the gospel wherever they went. More likely, and that's what that verse says in chapter 8, verse 4, but more literally that translation means they shared the good news wherever they went. It wasn't a matter of preaching as you and I uh, hear it, but more literally I'm told it means shared the good news. So in some way they shared the good news. And so today uh, we've asked five people to tell us about their experience of being scattered and sharing the good news. I don't know about the scattered part, uh, but, but I, I just threw that in there now. Um, but, but we've asked them to share what their experience is, and my hope is that we can relate to them. Uh, because I'll be the first to say, I find this really challenging. And these folk are from different backgrounds with very different experiences. I've asked them to be honest, because we know it's not always easy. And sometimes uh, we fail. Sometimes we share through what we do. And sometimes we share through what we say. Sometimes we find God moments in all of this. And so we're going to ask each of these people to come up and turn. I just thought I'd put the slide up so that they know when they're coming in. It saves me having to organize it beforehand. Uh, unfortunately, Carson uh, can't be with us this morning because uh, he, a good friend of his, a very close uh, friend who w was, was almost part of his family, uh, died suddenly this morning, uh, a, a lady called Joy Irvine, uh, some of you may know. So uh, he, I know, would value your prayers and, and Audrey. Um, it's been, a, it's been a, a trying time for them and it literally just happened this morning. So Carson had emailed me his notes and I'm going to read what he was going to say. I'm not going to impersonate him, uh, but I'm going to read what he was going to say. Um, and uh, so forgive me that it's, that it's not Carson with, with all his um, character, um, but this is what he was going to say. And then afterwards, uh, Caitlin's going to come up and share. So from Carson, his testimony of sharing his faith. I'm sure the story of the disciples in the core passage is meant to encourage, meant to inspire, meant to drive us to greater feats of spreading the word, preaching and exhortation. Does it do that to you? I recall in the late 70s being on a mission week at university and helping, up special, uh, helping set up a special event at the Students' Union. We took over one of the bars. Uh, we brought in a special speaker and we had quite a fruitful evening until after the event, the post-mortem. You know the sort of thing where you walk through what went well, what was useless, and especially what contacts were made and the people that we talked to. It was at that point that one of the girls in the group burst into tears. She cried her heart out. Eventually, we calmed her down, um, and out it came. I couldn't talk to anyone. No matter how hard I tried, I couldn't open my mouth. I had this great opportunity to share my faith, and I choked. So Carson is asking this. Was that her fault? Was she a spiritual weakling? Did she not care about the unreached? No. 
not guilty on all counts. She was simply a square peg in the wrong shaped hole. Booking the bar, booking the musicians, making sure the speaker was fed, picked up from the train station, accommodated, getting the permission letters from the university and the union, making sure there were enough outlets on the park cords for the amps, all those sort of things she was an expert and nothing about that stuff faced her. But was she a preacher? Was she good one-on-one uh, -on -one with strangers? Did she have the gifts of preaching and exhortation? No. It took a while for her to realize that the event would never have happened without her, quote, low-level work. There would have been no speaker, no musician, no handouts, no posters, and no opportunity to talk to others. I use this example because it's a bit like me. I'm the guy who reaches for the toolbox when something breaks. I'm the manager, the fixer, the dealer, the persuader, and the planner. Above all, I'm an ideas man. Put me in front of a mic and ask me to preach, ask me to approach strangers, and I fold. Realistically, those are not my gifts. In being sent, I've been able to put my talents to a great deal of use. I've seen thousands of people with severe disability put back to work, back to a living, and many a time through talking openly and naturally about my work, about my profession, about the successes and the challenges I've had, I see and I realize the natural opportunities to show the word and on occasion to speak the word. I believe passionately that where I am is where I was sent and I wholeheartedly embrace that. When the Israelites crossed Jordan in Joshua chapter 4, we read, on their way to the promised land, they were instructed to build what we would call a cairn or a pile of marker stones. The purpose of that cairn was not to mark the top of a mountain, but to mark the spot where God said go. Psychologically, it became a place where when it got tough, they could go back, check the facts, check the calling, touch base with the one who sent them. Audrey and I have our marker stones, the time, the place, the verse, the word from the Spirit. The dark days have come, and when the dark days come, and they have, having those marker stones will come back too. They've been so important. We're not all preachers. Statistically, very few of us are. We're not all brain surgeons either. No, we're, hewer, we're all hewers of wood and drawers of water. Sorry, nor are we, he should, uh, there's a typo there. But every one of us has our call our place to which we've been sent. I think one of the most important events in any Christian's life is the point at which they truly know that they were sent. It might be very glamorous, dangerous, exciting, world-changing, but it's more likely to be less so, like the colleague from 40 years ago. Find your place, but be warned. If you're being sent to something more than ordinary, don't ignore the call. Thanks, Carson. Caitlin. Um, so, uh, when I was asked about um, sharing my faith, um, you kind of think about a situation or a person. I don't know about you, but that's all I was thinking about. Um, mostly Mission Week definitely was in my, in my brain when I was thinking about it. But then I was thinking about, in more general, in my day-to-day -day life, what is sharing how good am I at sharing my faith in my day-to-day -day life and then I realized not very good um but um I thought more often than having good conversations do I come away from talking to people I'm like why didn't I do that like regretting not saying anything or saying something really silly like uh, Jesus loves you uh yeah uh just say something really stupid coming come away from it and just thinking why didn't you say something better than that but um, I was thinking, I heard uh, from my friend 
uh, earlier in the week that um, one of her friends had recently, or over the summer, had texted her saying that she'd become a Christian, and she was like, whoa, that's amazing. And But she had always wanted to have conversations with her, but had always come away from it and not saying anything because she was scared to or didn't know how to. But then um, when she was having a conversation with a girl who'd become a Christian, she said it was because of her, and she was really confused because she had always come away from from her not saying anything and she was so confused at how it was her doing that she would had become Christian but it was because of the little things that she'd said or just the way she acted or the way she was that um she'd it had been going around in her head and she had then asked other people about it and then over the summer had become a Christian which is awesome um but I just got really encouraged by that, by like anything that you say, it stays in their head and it might not be you having the conversation with them, but that'll lead on to someone else having a conversation. So I was really encouraged by that. And then I was thinking about um, in SU, I'm part of the committee, so because um, I'm such a good question, you know. Um, and... <laughs> um, for junior SU, each of us, each of the committee, take uh, a day and we do a talk, and um, we get a little sort of pointers to about what to talk about. And um, every time, everyone comes in with their notebooks and it all planned out exactly what they're going to say. Um, but we always come away from it going, I didn't say half the stuff I was going to say. I said stuff that I didn't even write down. But I was just really. Um, thinking about we we were praying about it and stuff and we were thinking that's God putting those words in their mouth they wrote it all down but ultimately it was God that um, was the one that said it (laughs) so yeah I was really encouraged by that so So I think there's a bit of a theme perhaps going on here because when Ali asked me to do this, I was like, oh no, please not this. Um, Because if truth be told, um, I find this really difficult and I find uh, sharing my faith really difficult um, for several reasons. Firstly is it is so unnatural to me. Um, I think once I start to talk about Jesus, I go into kind of King James voice. And it, uh, these and those come out and all that stuff that's in my, in my mind from, from years and years ago. So it feels so unnatural. I'm like, oh, why did I talk in that sort of way? And I think my timing is all over the place. And um, I think Caitlin's already said this, that someone says something and then half an hour later I have the great answer that would really suck it to them. And that Jesus, yeah, that's... So in work recently someone said something about you wonder where it's all going to end, don't you? Sort of the world. And uh, half an hour later, I had a great answer and could have said, you know, when you said that half an hour ago, that's, this is what this word's going to end. So I'm so unnatural and I'm really embarrassed. And I find sharing my faith just horrifyingly embarrassing. And I long for the approval of people. And I long for affirmation. I long for people to like me. I don't want to be different and I don't want to be odd. And I don't want people to think I'm a bit weird. And uh, maybe it's been called Hamish when you grow up. <laughs> when you're the only one in your school, <laughs> it's like it's, there's deep scars. And uh, so, uh, yeah, there's just that sort of feeling of like, I don't want to be different. I don't want to be odd. And there's that uncomfortable embarrassment about sharing my faith. And then there's guilt. And so I feel 
I feel guilt. So people get up here and it seems so natural and it seems so authentic and so genuine. And yeah, I feel guilty that I'm not that sort of person. And I feel guilty because then, because I'm not that sort of person, I was reading in my, for example, I read these sort of things in my daily reading. A few weeks ago, it was as long as Jesus is not my greatest love, I will keep quiet about him in order to serve my greatest love, my idol. <laughs> and if only our eyes were open to Jesus' glory, and only if we felt wounded by the shame of his humiliation among men, we would not be able to remain silent. But I find it so easy to remain silent, and that stuff then makes me feel even more uneasy and more guilty than actually, well, and I do guilt <laughs> great. So, uh, so yeah, I'm pretty hopeless at this, and so I don't know why you asked me, I do. I do uh, inspirational speaking, if you want. Uh, but uh, I suppose reflecting about it, there were a couple of things that I thought um, when I was thinking, thinking through this. Um, first, it is going to be difficult. Um, it's not easy. Uh, I don't think if you're heading Satan's kingdom um, and people's lives, then if it's easier, there's, maybe you're not doing it right. And uh, there are going to be challenges and battles ahead. Um, so that, that's one thing. And the second thing, maybe I am challenged. Maybe I do need God to touch my life. Maybe I do need to make him my, my all in all and that I don't worry what people think. And maybe I do need a better um, infusion of God's love in my life that actually um, I'll not be so worried about and so addicted to affirmation and so addicted to people's acceptance and be uh, a junkie for that sort of thing. So maybe I do need God to move in my life and to give me a heart that isn't so dependent on what other people think. Um, and I thought also that perhaps there are so many opportunities I do miss. I mean, I think we have amazing opportunities to portray a worldview, a Christian worldview. And just thinking back, even over the last month, uh, I don't know what your coffee room's like in work, but we've, we've done Donald Trump and immigration and refugees one day. People talked about that. And what an amazing opportunity to put forth what God's view is on the, the immigrant and the refugee. Um, we have a waiting room full of transgender young people just around the corner. And when we're going out to see those guys who are ultimately searching for identity in, a, in such a profound way to go about changing their whole gender to find their identity, what an opportunity that is to explain what uh, God's view of identity is. And then I suppose the last thing that I thought of with mission is that, um, and this was uh, in my readings this week from John Piper, so it must be true, um, that... Uh, Salvation is God's grace. We can do nothing about salvation, but mission is God's grace too. We can do no more about saving people than we can about saving ourselves and salvation. And we need to relax and rely and rest on him and allow him to work and him to do his missional grace through us, not to strive, not to try. We can't save ourselves and we can't save other people. Good morning. Um, so much like everybody else, I think we're all kind of going on the same theme here, which um, I don't know how I planned for, but that's just how it's going to happen. But um, yeah, so for me, sharing my faith isn't really coming down to words because the fact that I'm standing up here would never have happened two years ago. And the fact that I'm standing up here right now is filling me with nerves anyway. But so it's kind of, for me, sharing my faith has always been more about actions rather than words. And it's about showing people that you love them rather than just saying it, because if you're just saying it, they're probably not going to believe you in the first place anyway. So it's kind of, it's making your, it's so um, on the edge at, at New Horizon when I was about maybe 14, their whole talk was about um, how we are 
the image of the invisible and about how we might be the only version of God that someone ever sees. And that's kind of stuck with me for nearly 10 years now. And it's kind of remembering that as you go about in your day-to-day life. And so whenever you're talking to people in work and they ask you a question, it's being brave enough to actually say the answer that comes into your head or maybe doesn't come into your head and you remember at a later stage. But like, so I say, I'm going to Canada in under two weeks now and it was one of the girls who I worked with and um, was asking me oh well what is what is the camp like what are you going to be doing there and it's kind of explaining it to her and she was like all right okay that's pretty cool but like is it God stuff and I was like well yes <laughs> and so it was kind of it's even like little things like that about whenever you do kind of answer God's call in one area of your life he kind of finds a way to make that speak out and to be more applicable in other areas and it's yeah, it's just kind of, yeah, it's like what Carson said about just whenever God calls you, whenever you find in um, the ability to say yes, even though it might fill you with dread <laughs> at the time. But yeah, God works in many different ways and he's made us all very different people because we might, because we do speak into very different people's lives. So because of that, then we are able to, like what what I have to say might apply very differently to someone than what Suzanne has to say or what... Bethany has to say and because of that um it is just we have to try and take the opportunities as they come and it's not easy and the like Hamish the answers tend to not come to me it's straight away and you just kind of have to roll with it and hope that God is speaking through you even when you're not aware of it but yeah also have to say it's not easy <laughs> um, and I suppose whenever you're asked to come and speak here or speak at a uh, like Christian businessmen's meeting or something you know what you're going to speak about and you can prepare for that but whenever you meet somebody on the street and this sort of th- it's in your mind that you want to witness it's um, it's a different story altogether and I I find Kicking the ball off is the hardest thing. And I'm always looking for opportunities to let them kick the ball off. And once they kick it off, I, 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 I don't have a problem sharing my face then or what I believe. But it's, it's getting started. And uh, I suppose um, one of the things over the last lot of years that I really have uh, prayed about is going out every day and asking, for oppor- asking God for opportunities uh, you've probably heard me say this before. A lot of you have spoken to individually about this, but um, you know, I, I, I remember someone saying that if you go out looking for the opportunities that are there, if you go out just like another day and your mind's not alert to those opportunities, uh, the opportunities are still there, but you don't see them. And so probably what I have been learning is uh, to go out each day and look for those opportunities uh, and they are there. Um, I suppose uh, uh, whenever I was thinking about, you know, who over the years that I would have shared my faith with, there they were with people that, uh, and they were in very ordinary situations, as um, Jennifer said earlier, mundane things and mundane things that are happening just day by day, and. Um, uh, for example, whenever I was working, um, if some of the staff came in and started to talk about maybe their own situation or a rough time they were going through, I would say, you know, I'll be praying for you. And that can start a conversation. Um, 
or people ask, um, have you family? Um, and of course, with the situation that we had, having lost two boys, I'd take that opportunity and say to them, and say, oh, how did you get through that? And our faith got us through that. And that can start a conversation. Uh, and it's looking for little things like that that I have found um, uh, are, uh, you're able to kick off the conversation about your faith and sharing well. And as I say, it happens in all sorts of places. Um, and probably when I was working, the workplace was where it, it would have happened the most. And now that I've retired, it, it can happen uh, in, in, in the gym. It can happen up the mountain. It can happen at a rugby match. It can happen, you know, it's just, I have found, I say it's hard, but if I can get that uh, kicked off, I, I feel um, happy to share what I believe um, with individuals. Um, whatever, I suppose the other thing is that we used to do years ago um, was hand tracks out in the street. And that was like a vehicle to start a conversation. And um, whenever some of the young people would come out for the first time, they were very nervous. We were doing the Golden Mile at 12 o'clock on a Friday night, and we were very nervous about it. And I would say to them, and I keep reminding myself about that, about that these days too, that I'm the one that is living the life God meant us to live. The folk that you're coming in contact with are the ones that have got it wrong. Remember, you're the one that is living the life that God meant you to live, and you have the news to share with people. Um, and that helps me uh, as well to come into a situation and to think, you know, these people think I'm odd or what, but I'm not the odd one. I'm the one that is living the life that God intended uh, people to live. Um, and the other thing is, uh, again, I have to keep reminding myself, uh, I'm not going to see everybody that I talk to coming to faith there and then, but I'm a link in a chain. And maybe next week or next month, um, someone else will pick up on something and that person will work their way through what different people have said to them. Um, so to, to remember that you're a link in the chain, and while you might say very, very little, um, it's the Holy Spirit, um, as Hamish was saying, the Holy Spirit can take that and, and bring people to faith through that. Um, yeah, I suppose the last thing I want to say is um, whenever, whenever you are maybe stuck uh, with a hard question or whatever, be honest. I have learned to be honest. And just to share uh, my own experience, just to share my own experience. And um, sometimes whenever you get into a situation where you're struggling and so on, um, I have found it uh, just to say, listen, my experience is, and just relate your experience uh, to folk. So um, I'm still learning um, after many, many years and still looking out for uh, opportunities uh, to, to share. Okay, thank you. I think it's great, the authenticity and the, and, the, and, the, and the honesty that has been shown here. I've, I've been reminded yesterday, I think it was Hamish, sent me a text back in response. I sent a text to everybody and he sent me a text. He said, look, this, here's where I'm going with this, just so as you know. Uh, and he said something of what he was saying there. And then he said at the very end of the text, maybe you want to score me off your list. And I thought, this is authentic. So I wrote back in the text, brilliant, perfect. 
And I went to send it and thought, oh my goodness, he's going to think I mean, score you off the list. Brilliant. <laughs> Perfect. Sling your hook. Um, so I rang him instead. And uh, it struck me, it doesn't surprise me that people have honestly, because I asked for honesty, shared the challenge uh, that we face. If we go to the next slide. Um, what strikes me very interestingly is that when the, when the apostles were freed from jail, miraculously in the middle of the night by an angel who opened the doors. And then he said, here's what I want you to do. Go to the marketplace and tell the people about this new life. As I might have mentioned last week, I would have wanted to tell them about this amazing miracle that happened last night. But he said, tell them about this new life. There is no doubt in my mind that we have an amazing, powerful message. And I know most of you guys in this room believe that. Here's the problem. There's a translation query or quandary. How do I translate what's in here to the person I'm talking to? How are they going to hear the hope that I have, the reality that I have in my life, the joy and the purpose that I have in my life. How do I communicate that to them? I was doing some studies a long, long time ago about the different translations of the Bible. And there's a, there's a technique called formal correspondence where you talk about word-for-word -word translation. And some translators use that to translate the Bible. And the problem with that is you get word-for-word -word translation, but at the other side, it doesn't come out the same as what it meant. So you get expressions like God's bowels of mercy that mean nothing to me or you unless we get that sort of explained to us. It's a word-for-word. -word. And then you've got this thing called dynamic equivalence translation, which is really trying to look about what, what did the actual words accurately express in the thought and when missionaries go abroad, these are some of the things that they would have to wrestle with. How do I grapple with translating this message into the foreign culture? How, how will the person understand it? Because sometimes word for word ain't going to do it. In fact, it can be very misleading. I was just reading actually yesterday, I think it was on the BBC website, about being called Kevin in France is a really unfortunate thing. It has connotations. I don't know if anybody here called Kevin, but you're kind of regarded as being a bit stupid. So if you say my name's Kevin, there's a kind of wry smile goes across the person's face. Now, I didn't know that, uh, but there's so many worse things that we could say than Kevin. There's so many worse things that we could say that could be, we think it's understood, but it's not. So missiologists talk about this thing about formal correspondence churches. When you go to a different culture, understanding what it is, uh, to be church in that culture is much more different than translating word for word. So why do I say that? Because we have an amazing message of freedom, of acceptance, of grace, of hope. And our missionary challenge is there is a culture and community out there that don't understand the language I use that don't understand the kind of words that I use or even the culture that I'm in. So how do I somehow cross that barrier of culture 
and, and, and communicate this powerful message in a way that somebody in that culture is going to understand. That's something uh, I've been wrestling with because the message is the same. The core of the gospel message is the same. The hope that we have is the same. So how do we uh, translate that? What's the strategy that we employ? 1 Corinthians 1 says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. We live in a culture that's foreign to our language, foreign to the gospel, uh, that no longer understands the language that we even used 20 years ago or the strategies that we used 20 years ago. Some of them do and some of them don't, so how do I translate it? Well, I have got just three thoughts to finish with uh, that, that I've been thinking about, that I've been reading about, how I can somehow verbalize in a way that I don't it doesn't come across as, as some of the folk have been saying, it doesn't come across as stupid. How do I communicate this hope that I have? Uh, what are some of the cross-cultural ways of communicating that? And here's the first one, generosity. Jesus said, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. In the message it says this, keep open house, be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. By being generous, we live what we mentioned before, a thing called questionable lives. It causes people to say, why is that person the way they are? Because we live in a culture where words are cheap and people know that. And so that brings me on to the second strategy, I believe, and that's authenticity. Realizing who I am in Christ, drawing near to God, and as Acts 5 says, tell the people about this new life. I love the, set, the fact that people were honest this morning because we have a powerful message, and hey, there's nobody in this room would say, I've got all the answers. I could argue with Dawkins tomorrow and beat him. Nobody, nobody in this room believes that they've worked everything out, but yet we still choose to follow him because there's something very deep within us that is confirmed and affirmed that we are loved, that we have a powerful message, not just when we die, but when we're alive today, that I wouldn't change for anything. Why is that? I am quite happy to be authentic with someone instead of trying to pretend that I'm something I'm not. Because in a world that's, world that's very cynical of institutions, in a world that's very suspicious of truth claims, authenticity breaks through that culture. And if we are generous people, not so that people will see us, but that's who we are because of Christ in us, the hope of glory. If we are authentic, being able to say, look, I, you know something, this comes out, and I don't understand this half the time, and I think of a, a, an answer half an hour later that you've asked me, I'm sorry about that, but hey, I still follow Christ. I, I don't know how to explain this to you sometimes, but look, I still follow him. It's okay to say that we fail at times, but we've got to be authentic. And realize, actually, sometimes we've got to remind ourselves, you know, just how precious God is to us in our lives. And part of that is growing close to him. And the third strategy that I would suggest is this one, risk. Whoever wants to be my disciple, Jesus said, must deny themselves, take up the cross daily and follow me. I love the 40 Acts 
uh, uh, that we're going through uh, uh, each day of Lent, of 40 acts of generosity. Because here's what it's doing. It's making me, as someone was saying earlier, it's making me be aware of the person next to me. It's making me much more aware that there are people out there, that it's breaking me out of my bubble. Those are just suggestions as to strategies as to how we cross the cultural gap between religious Christianity or perceived religious Christianity and coming to try to be able to explain why we have this hope. We've been talking a lot about vision and leadership recently. And uh, you'll be hearing more about this in due course. Uh, and and s- a couple of the things that are coming to the fore is that we really do believe that we, God wants us to be a church that's hungry for him and ex- expectant of him. But in the context of this, it's really relevant to say this. We believe that we are a church that God wants us to be looking out more with a focus on the kingdom of God, with a burden for the lost, taking God at his word, expecting him to empower us as we do whatever we do, as we speak whatever we speak, because we want to be the light of Christ to those without hope, starting with those in our community. We want to be a church with a message. And my question for you, and you don't have to answer it, is are you up for that? Corporately and individually, are we prepared to be people who are excessively generous? Because that's who we are. We're people who are authentic. We're not trying to put on a show. What you see is what you get. This is me. And yes, I mess up, but I still choose him because he loves me. And are you prepared to be a people of risk? And we'll find that out as as the next few weeks and months come along, as we come across Global Outreach Day, as we come across other projects that we're going to be working on. Because as individuals... And as church, we want to make an impact. We want to be the light of the world. We don't want to just tick a box and be church. That's our vision for where we're going. That's our vision about scattering the seed. And when the apostles stayed in Jerusalem, the believers then were spread because of persecution in that situation. It wasn't a strategy. They ended up being there. And they spread the word in whatever form they did. They brought the hope of Christ wherever they were. Jesus.